Let's pray together, shall we? God, our Heavenly Father, we pray that as we have been worshiping you this morning, that you would be pleased with what we are doing, that you would be pleased with the meditations of our hearts and the words of our mouths, that we would be, as the psalmist says, acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we want to prepare ourselves right now as we are speaking to you to hear your word speak to us. Father, may your spirit speak clearly to our hearts and may we respond with obedience and with increased love for you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, we have been looking, as you know, at the church. And before, uh, before we're done here, you guys will all be wore out on this diagram, I'm sure. Uh, but in any case, uh, as you know, there are six things, six essential building blocks for the church. There are three uh, necessary marks of the church, and there are three essential works according to the scriptures of the church. If you don't have any one of these, then what you have in a gathering of believers in Christ is not a church, it's something less than a church. Um, that something might still be uh, good or worthwhile, uh, or it might not, but whatever it is, it is not a church. Uh, what you must have by way of necessary marks is you must have biblical orthodoxy as a foundation. Uh, in other words, you must have a church that teaches what the Scripture says about everything that it says. Uh, the Scripture addresses all kinds of issues, and you need to have, if you're going to be part of a church, you need to, need to be part of one that embraces what the Scripture says rather than adopts whatever is current in the culture. Uh, you also uh, need to have a biblically defined order. And by that, I don't mean uh, that you have something that you print in the bulletin for what you do on Sunday morning. What I mean is that there is an organization that goes along with being the church, that there are elders and that there are deacons and deaconesses, and that those must meet uh, certain qualifications and lead in a certain way in order for the church to be the church as God defines it. In addition to that, there are also ordinances, uh, or an, uh, which is basically a fancy word for things that God has commanded us to do. Uh, there are two of them. They are baptism and communion. And we've talked about in, in some detail what those things are and why we do them. That we are baptized uh, as our way of being publicly identified 
uh, with Christ and we do on the outside what has happened to us on the inside, that as you are baptized and go under the water, that you and your old life are buried with Christ. And as you are raised out of the water, you are raised to new life in Christ. It's not that the act of being baptized saves you, but it it depicts for you and for everyone who's watching and you experience in a physical way what has happened to you spiritually that Jesus Christ has saved you already and now you have are being identified with him in his death and burial and resurrection to new life uh, and we, then also with communion we talked a lot about that last week that this is about redemption and about forgiveness of sin and about cleansing. It's not that the taking of that cracker and the drinking of that juice conveys God's forgiveness to you necessarily, but it's a way for you to experience what, you, what we do believe occurs by the blood of Christ and by the breaking of His body. That as His body was broken, we were healed, and as his, as his blood was spilled, our sin was covered. And we have the opportunity through faith in Christ to, uh, it, to experience redemption and atonement with God and cleansing from our sin. And we who have experienced that already, as we take communion, we enter into... Uh, we're into a time of fellowship with God around His table. And so that's what communion is about. So those three essential, or those three necessary marks, and then there are three essential works. In other words, three things that a church has to do in order to be a church. And the first one we're going to look at is today, which is evangelism. In other words, a church, to be a church, has to share the gospel. If a church does not share the gospel, it's not a church, it's a sect. It's something less than a church. It's a group that has the attitude of, well, it's just supposed to be us four and no more, and we're not going to share the gospel and get outside of, of ourselves with anybody because we're going to have the life-giving words of the message of Christ, but we're going to keep it a secret because that's what Jesus would want us to do, right? Is that what Jesus wants us to do? No. What Jesus said is, the things that I have whispered in your ear in the, in the, uh, in the rooms, I want you to shout from the rooftops. I want you to proclaim to everyone that you encounter because this is the message of life. Just as if you had, if you had the cure for cancer or you had the cure for AIDS or you had the cure for Ebola, you're not going to you know, just kind of keep that under wraps and not let anybody know. At least not if you care whatsoever about anybody else's life other than your own. You're going to proclaim that and announce that and say, hey... You don't have to do all this stuff anymore to get healed of these things. I have the answer. I have the solution. So a church must share the gospel. My mic sounds a little hot to me. Does it sound hot out there? All right. We crank it down just a little. All right. The uh, church also has to engage in edification. Edification is just a fancy Bible word, you know, one you can use in a crossword puzzle maybe, uh, that means building up the body of Christ together. 
that as we gather together, that we gather together as believers in Christ for a purpose. And part of that purpose is the advancement toward maturity of one another together. That as we're getting together in small groups, as we get together in Sunday school class, that what I'm doing up here, part of what we're doing is the next one, exaltation. But part of what my job is as your pastor is to help us Notice I didn't say help you, help us come to maturity in Christ, because we all need to come to maturity in Christ, including most especially me. And the objective, one of the reasons God has put us in the church together is that we might grow up together and look more and more like Jesus. That's the fancy word for that is edification, uh, participating in the one another aspects of what it means to be a believer in Jesus. And then also exaltation. Now, a lot of times when you hear people say this, and and they mean well, but they misunderstand what the Scripture actually means by worship. You know, you go to a church sometimes, and they say, "Well, well, now we're going to worship. And what they mean by that is, now we're going to sing some songs, right? But that's not, that's not all that worship is. Worship is not just singing. It's not just the preaching of God's Word. It's not just praying. It's not just making your offerings. It's all of those things in addition to what you do with your life when you leave this place. Amen? And the church, if you are part of one, needs to be about more than just Sunday morning. I don't mean you need to join a small group, although if you're not in one, you should. Um, I mean that, that your life in total encapsulates an attitude of worship. That's what Jesus is talking about when he says through, through the Apostle Paul, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, right? When, when those things are happening, that's a, that's a life that is characterized by worship. That as you are progressing toward holiness, and as you are going through your day, that the things that you do are dedicated to the fact that you know and are serving and following Christ. That's exaltation. Now, we gather together on Sunday morning to do that, and a church that doesn't do that is not a church. But... There's more to it than just what we do here on Sunday morning. In fact, I would say to you that if the only time you ever worship God is when you gather here, you're missing out on about 99% of what God wants for your life. Because He wants your whole life, not just an hour or two on Sunday morning. Now, uh, we're going to be looking today at this issue of evangelism. And we're just going to, I'm going to look with you at one verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. If you don't have a Bible here this morning, we have some very fine Bibles uh, on that table there by the back door. Uh, they are brand new. You can pick one up and take it home with you. And we will, uh, we will enjoy giving that to you as our gift. Uh, if not, you can follow along uh, on the screen behind me. Uh, And as you kind of make your way to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let me tell you a quick story. 17 years ago, I was in 
uh, a class called Bible Exposition and Hermeneutics with Dr. Howard Hendricks. Now, Dr. Hendricks taught that class for 60 years before he went home to be with the Lord just a couple of years ago. He taught that class for 60 years. He had about 10,000 students. And every fall, when he would teach that class, he would give the same assignment. He would say, take Acts 1-8, your Bible, read Acts 1-8, and make 25 observations about Acts 1-8. That was the first assignment. You come back the next, the next day that we had class, and you turn that in, and you say, all right, very good. You got 25 observations. Take that home and make 25 more. Now, the first 25 are not that bad. You know, if you're kind of a seminary guy and you're, you're oriented to, toward reading and, and studying the text and so forth, you go, okay, I got this, 25, no problem. The next 25, you might get another 8 or 10, and then you start having to stretch. Like, there are 18 E's in this verse. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, right? <laughs> Uh, the letters can be rearranged to spell, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right? And then he would, we would come in the next day, and he would say to us, all right, gentlemen, ladies, go home and make as many more observations as you can. And I was, I was in despair <laughs> that night. <laughs> okay. Like, I don't care how many more you get, but, uh, but just by the way, the record is over 500. So if you get 600, call me. <laughs> okay. Well, the idea behind the assignment was this, that sometimes we can read the text and we can think we know what it says and think we know everything there is to possibly know about it, but we've never really seen it. And so this morning, as we look together at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what I want to do is I want to show you the text. Trust me, I don't have 500 observations to go through for you. But to sh- I want to look at it together, and, and hopefully we will really see it as if it's for the first time. And see what the Spirit of God is speaking to us in it. So, here's what it says. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, it's always important whenever you get a verse like this or any verse of Scripture to go back and look at the context. In other words, when was this written? To whom was it written? Uh, What else is going on before and after the text so that you understand where are we in in the big chunk of Scripture that we're looking at? And if you don't know, Jesus is giving this assignment to His followers. And let me just back, back up a little further than that. Jesus died on Passover Friday, 33 A.D. And then he was raised from the dead on First Fruits Sunday. Just a couple days later, the first day of the Feast of First Fruits on the following Sunday. So uh, then he spent 40 days teaching his uh, disciples, appearing to them at various times in various ways. Uh, And so this is day 43 since the crucifixion. 
You are exactly seven days prior to the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus Jesus has, has been raised from the dead and he's been teaching his disciples and been going over things with them and helping them to understand various things about who he is and what he came to do and what some of his teaching meant. And and so they ask him at this point, okay, Jesus, you know, you've been raised from the dead, you've been teaching us, um, we know that, uh, that you are the Messiah, that you are the king who was to come. So since you are the king who was to come, is this the time when you're going to establish your kingdom? And you're going to restore Israel to, uh, to nationhood and rule from David's throne in Jerusalem like the scripture says you're going to do. And Jesus says to them, now is not the time. It's not now. It's not now. But you have an assignment in the meantime. That's where that but comes in at the beginning of the verse. Is But this is what's going to happen. Uh, you're not to worry about when the kingdom is going to be here. It's going to happen on the, on the Father's timetable. But you have an assignment And here it is. It's the Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation of the gospel to all people everywhere, also known as evangelism. And we want to look at uh, the components of that definition here as they are revealed to us in this verse. So, uh, Jesus' words come 43 days after his crucifixion, seven days before Pentecost, and Jesus has already told them in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, to wait until in Jerusalem till the Spirit comes. And when the Spirit does come, all of Jesus' followers speak by the Spirit in languages they have not learned. And some of them were empowered to heal terrible diseases and paralysis and even to raise the dead. The Spirit carries, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you you read that the Spirit carries the evangelist Philip uh, by some sort of divine intervention from one place to another. And Philip doesn't know how he got from where he started to where he winds up. But the Spirit put him where he wanted him to be. The Spirit protected the Apostle Paul from suffering any ill effects from a venomous snake bite. Uh, the, the, the Spirit raised Paul from the dead after he was stoned and left in a rock pile outside of one of the cities where he shared the gospel. The other disciples came around, gathered around Paul and prayed for him, kind of peeled the rocks back, and he got up and went off and went preaching somewhere else. The Spirit of God did amazing things. The Spirit of God shook the chains loose from Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail cell and sent an angel to free Peter in the middle of the night in such a way that none of the people who were guarding him were aware that he was gone until the morning. The Spirit of God did all of these things and many, many more giving power to Jesus' followers just as Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, you will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And it's easy for us, I think, sometimes in our modern world where we have, you know, airline travel, 
and uh, you know a, d a device in our pocket that has more computing power than we did the moonshot with that we use mostly to look at cat videos right and take <laughs> take pictures of ourselves in various places right uh, we have all this technology and we we think you know well miraculous things and amazing things you know that's all maybe part of what happened in the bible but but Today, you know, God doesn't really do that kind of stuff anymore. It's easy for us to sometimes think that. But what Jesus tells us here is that the Holy Spirit came primarily to empower the followers of Jesus to do what? Evangelism. In fact, when those first followers of Jesus spoke in tongues, or in other words, languages they had not studied, what was the outcome of, of what they did? It was that people from all over the world who were gathered there in Jerusalem heard the gospel proclaimed in their own languages. And they went, how can this be? Aren't these guys all Galileans? And in fact, they were all Galileans. So how is it that this guy knows Farsi? Well, he doesn't, but the Spirit of God does and is speaking through him so that you can understand the gospel. You know, when Peter and John healed a crippled guy outside the beautiful gate, outside of the temple, why did they do that? So that he would understand who the living God was. And in fact, that resulted in a whole amazing opportunity to share the gospel. And the Spirit of God is given in power so that the followers of Jesus might share the gospel. And you and I, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is true and this is exciting. We have today the same Holy Spirit who is alive and active in Acts, alive and active in you and me. Amen? And the same Holy Spirit that raised the dead and healed the crippled and enabled the gospel to go forth in languages unstudied by those who spoke them is the same Holy Spirit who indwells and empowers every believer today. And one of the big reasons that He has been sent to us and given to us that they and we might be what? His witnesses. In fact, if you look at the text, that's what it says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Well, sometimes I think we overcomplicate things. So let me ask you, what's a witness? It's very simple. A witness is a person who testifies about, and by the way, testifies publicly about what they have seen or heard or experienced. Whatever they have seen or heard or experienced. We have all kinds of stuff like this, right? We have Amazon reviews. Uh, we have Yelp. Uh, we have... Um, all kinds of opportunities for people. You know, you can post a review of the bakery downtown, which I've done, by the way. That, that bakery is an amazing place. 
right? And I've told everybody I know about it on Facebook, right? Um, uh, we, we normally, naturally tend to do that. And there are also witnesses in other contexts, right? Uh, many years ago, I worked for an insurance company uh, in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, it's now Liberty Mutual, but back then it was uh, called American States Insurance. And uh, worked for them. I, I was an underwriter. I, I uh, provided policies to a variety of independent agents. And the idea was that all kinds of businesses that needed insurance, I would give them a price on what that insurance would be. Well, we had a client, or I had a client more specifically, who uh, misrepresented to us what he was doing, and we found out about it. And, uh, and so we were radically underpricing him for what he was actually doing. He told us he was operating an office building. He was actually running a machine shop that was making race car parts. Uh, and so we canceled his policy. Uh, I went to my, my boss, and I said, uh, this is what's really going on. Um, and she said, well, that's a lot more liability than a guy running a copy machine. <laughs> and it is, right? And so we canceled his policy, and then he sued us, as a matter of fact. And in the interim, while the suit was progressing, I had moved down to Texas, and the, the attorneys for the company later called me up and said, Mr. Horn, we would like you to fly up to Indianapolis again because we would like to depose you and we'd like you to testify in this court case about all the things that you know about this. I said, well, can I do that over the phone? <laughs> because I, I'm, in, I'm a seminary student. I do not want to take time off for this. Uh, they said, well, uh, we'd rather you fly up. I said, well, can you subpoena me? And he goes, no. I said, then I won't be flying up. <laughs> but in any case, um, they, they were asking me to be a witness, to tell about what I had seen and heard and experienced. And what Jesus is telling us is that his expectation of us as the Holy Spirit enters into our lives is that we also will be witnesses to other people of what we have seen and heard and experienced with reference to Jesus. What has happened to you since you met Jesus? What was your life like before and what is it like now? What has occurred in your life that is different today than it was before? Because you know Jesus. And by the way, this is a, as good a time I know, as I know of as any to say this. That when we're talking about witnesses for Jesus, verbal witness, in other words, using your own mouth, is required. Sometimes people like to, when they talk about evangelism, they like to quote St. Francis of Assisi, who said, I mean, this is, I don't know if this is the, 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 like the money quote from him or what, but people like this one. They say, preach the, he said, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And then at, at that point, my head explodes. Because I say to myself, how is that possible? The gospel is by its very nature a message that must be conveyed. 
I mean, if you ever get called to testify in a court case, ask the judge if you can mime your testimony and see if he will go along with that. I'm going to bet not, right? Why? Because actions by themselves do not testify to anything. In fact, if you say, well, I'm going to live out, quote, I'm going to live out the gospel in front of my neighbors in hopes that they come to an understanding of who Jesus is, what you're actually doing, if I'm not putting it too strongly, is preaching to them a false gospel that by your good works and church attendance that you can go to heaven. And nothing could be further from the truth. The truth is that that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. And by the way, there aren't any good people. There's Jesus and then there's everyone else. And if you are going to go to heaven, you're going to need to hitch a ride with Jesus who provided the only sufficient sacrifice by which men and women and boys and girls can have their sins forgiven and enter into the presence of a holy God. And you're going to need to be able to say that to people because that is not a message that people will come up with on their own by watching you be a nice person and a good neighbor. Sooner or later, the word has to come out of your mouth. Amen? It's got to come out of your mouth. It's not that, and by the way, I'm not saying your actions are unimportant. I'm not saying that. Because you can discredit the gospel with your life. Amen? You can. And you can accredit the gospel with your life. But it either underlines or undermines what you say. And if you never say anything, then that person is just as lost as the day they moved in next to you. Or the day they started working in the cubicle next to yours. Or the day that you heard and believed the gospel and they remained a lost member of your family. And I say that not to make any of us feel guilty because I know how hard it is sometimes to open your mouth and to say, you need to meet Jesus. But they do. And our actions alone are totally insufficient to make that happen. You've got to open your mouth. You've got to say the words. And we do that all the time with all kinds of other areas of life, right? I mean, how many of us have a Facebook account? Raise your hand if you're on Facebook, okay? You and about a billion and a half other people, right? And everybody, I mean, what is that except for a giant opportunity to advertise all the things that you're into, right? And so we talk about, you know, I'm on there and I talk about bird dogs and gun control and other kinds of stuff, you know? And wild pig hunting and Jesus too, right? Uh, I have photos of my kids up there. I have, uh, I, I have uh, uh, Karen this last week put up, put up a picture of the, uh, the, the, our engagement photo and her engagement ring. And we celebrated the fact that it was 20 years ago that I asked her to marry me. And she was foolish enough to say yes. <laughs> Praise God. Okay. Um, 
And you celebrate all this stuff, and everybody that is connected to you on that thing knows what you're into, right? And they ought to at least know that we're into Jesus, that he is a big deal. Amen? And, and we're comfortable doing that in a computerized way, but sometimes when, when it's eyeball to eyeball over a cup of coffee, we like go mute. And we ought not go mute. Because the Holy Spirit of God lives within us to empower us. And so this means this is not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of a deal, right? That I don't have to sit there and go, okay, God, here I go. I'm going to do it all on my own. I'm going to use all my own energy to make this happen. That's not what Jesus promises us here. He says, I will send you the Holy Spirit who will give you power to be my witness. And all you've got to do is rely on me and open your mouth. Because the Holy Spirit gives us power. And we also have the opportunity to be Jesus' witnesses everywhere. Every one of Jesus' first followers were Jews. Among the 12 disciples, there was only one guy who wasn't from Galilee, and that was Judas. And he was already dead by the time this was written. And here they are in Jerusalem, and Jesus' instruction to them could not be clearer. He doesn't want them to wait to tell people about him until they get back home, and they're among people they know, and it's a little more comfortable setting. He wants them to wait for the Spirit's power and then to go to work right where they are. And then to work out from where they are to everywhere else around the world. He says, start where you are, which is Jerusalem, and then go out a little wider to Judea and then get a little further up to Samaria. In other words, the areas of, that composed ancient Israel and then go from there to the ends of the earth. Go from there to the ends of the earth. In other words, from wherever you are, work out from that base so that it goes out like ripples on a pond to the edge of the planet, to the ends of the earth. Uh, we looked this morning in Mark chapter 13 where Jesus says the gospel will be preached to all nations. Jesus says, the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. Are you excited about Jesus returning? Preach the gospel to all nations and then the end will come. Because Jesus is about saving people from every tribe, every nation, every people group, every linguistic group every people around the world, that all people of every kind, uh, by the way, including Muslims, might hear the gospel, including Russians, including people who have been the enemies of us here in the U.S. as a nation, that those people too, people of every socioeconomic group, people of every race, people of every culture. Christ died 
for the whole world. And so he sends us into the whole world with the gospel. Not just to the people with whom we are comfortable. And he tells this, he gives this instruction, by the way, to a group of guys who in their lifetime up to this point had probably never traveled as far as Danville is from here. They'd never been 150 miles from home ever in their life. And he says, you go, you go right here and then around this area and then out further than that and then all over the planet. And you know what? They did it. Thomas died in India. Paul died in Rome. The gospel went everywhere all over the world. It even got across the Atlantic Ocean to you and me. And now it's going back to Jerusalem, back around the globe. We have the opportunity to be Jesus' witnesses to all people everywhere. He is the Savior of people of every tribe and ethnicity, language and nation, and He is calling you and me He is calling our church. And by the way, when I say our church, don't exclude yourself from that. Sometimes I hear people say things like this. They say, well, you know, the church should. And what they mean is some other group of people than the one of which I'm a part ought to do this. In other words, you know, pastor, you really ought to take this on as a project and get the church as a whole excluding me to do this (laughs) okay is that too honest i hope not all right but sometimes when we say that church should what we mean to is that all of the rest of y'all ought to do this and i ought to sit on my barca lounger okay don't do that when it says the church has a responsibility to evangelize that means If you want to know who that is, go in the bathroom in here and look in the mirror. And that's you. And that's me. The church should. We should. All of us should. Amen? Because the call is to all of Jesus' followers, not just to the ones who think this is their gift, not just to the ones who have a title and an office within the church, but to all of us. Amen? So I've got three exhortations for you. Okay? And by the way, I just want to say this, okay? This is hard. This is hard. By God's grace, I got the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody in their driveway. I met them, and then like five minutes later, we're talking, and I'm like, so here's what we believe at our church, (laughs) and I'm sharing the gospel with him. Now, as it turned out, he already knew the Lord. But I didn't know that when I rolled up on his house and met him. I didn't know that. But I would never have found out if I hadn't asked. And if I hadn't told him, look, this is what we're about. We're about Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead as the sacrifice for sin who gives us new life. What do you think about that?
And we are, we are already doing some of this, amen? It's not, when I'm saying we should do this, I'm not saying we don't do this. We do do this. We do this through things like mops. We do it at Awana. In fact, we do it a lot at Awana. We do it through the verses we teach the kids. We do it uh, through the council time. We do it continually. Uh, we do it through men's ministry. We do it through salt and light. We do it through evangelism explosion. We do it through women's Bible study. We already do this a lot. And God has used many of us to share the gospel and to be his witnesses in these ministries and in lots of others. But we need to excel still more in this. Because there is nothing better, I can tell you this, from experience, I can tell you this, there is no bigger high in life than sharing the gospel with somebody who has never heard it. And and experiencing God's power working through you to enable you to do that. To say to, to, say to God, I need the Holy Spirit's power because I'm going to open up this can here and I need you to be on the other side of this. And I need you to lead this conversation, Father, by your Holy Spirit to fill me so that I can speak what I ought to speak. There's nothing better than that. It doesn't get better than that. I've ridden all kinds of roller coasters. They're not that exciting. This is exciting. So three exhortations here. Number one, be a witness. Tell others what Jesus has done for you and to you and in you. In other words, what did you experience? Your testimony is powerful. You know, when I, when I buy something on Amazon, I always look at the reviews, right? Because I want to hear about somebody else's experience because I don't want to be the first idiot to do this, right? I don't want to be the test subject. And when people are about to make a revolution in their life happen, they want to know what happened to you. What was your experience with Jesus? And one of the most powerful things that you have in terms of evangelism is being able to tell people your own story. So what's the story? What happened in your life? What has Jesus protected you from? What has he saved you out of? How has your life changed since you met him? Tell people that. Number two, if you've never shared the gospel with anyone... What is stopping you? And follow-up question to that, what are you going to do about it? You know, because I hear people sometimes make excuses. They go, well, you know, I just don't know enough. I don't really know how to share the gospel. I'm not practiced at it. I don't know the verses, you know, that I would need to to know to share the gospel with somebody. Uh, I've not been through EE etc. And I go, okay, so when are you signing up for EE? So when are you going to learn the verses? So when are you going to stop making excuses? Amen? Because we, we a lot of times know something is to be true, but we don't 
respond and act as if it's true, right? I know that Doritos and Dr. Pepper is not good for me, right? Do I believe that that's not good for me? No. I ate Doritos and drank Dr. Pepper yesterday. (laughs) Okay. I don't believe that it's not good for me because it tastes good, right? But I know intellectually in my head that I need to stop doing that, right? In the same way, a lot of us, I think, know that we should share the gospel, but we don't actually believe that because it hasn't changed our life. So if you've never shared the gospel, what's stopping you? And what are you going to do about it? Last thing. Who is part of your life that you haven't shared the gospel with yet? And when are you going to do that? You know, I've run into a lot of people in my career as a pastor, and just, you know, it actually gives me kind of an advantage out in the community because everybody knows who I am. So they expect me to say something religious whenever they meet me, right? So I'm like, that's the expectation. I'm here to meet it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me tell you about Jesus, right? And sometimes it can be a fearful thing. I, I understand to uh, to actually share the gospel with somebody. But here's what else I know. That y'all know people that I will never meet. And I can't share the gospel with them, not because I'm unwilling, but because I don't know them. And God has sprinkled his people, and he has put me where he wants me, and he has put you where he wants you, And he has put all of us in precisely the places that he wants us so that the gospel would go out to as many people as possible. Amen? And you know people, and I know people, that we haven't shared the gospel with yet. So when are we going to do it? When? We don't know how long we got. You know, I could have a stroke tomorrow, and that'd be it, right? You might be in a car accident on the way home. And those people are in your life because they need Jesus. And you have a responsibility to tell them. And the ones in my life, I have a responsibility to tell. So we ought to put a date on it and say, okay. By October 25th, I'm going to tell that person. And then tell somebody else who's a believer in this church so that they can ask you, so did you do it? Right? We need sometimes that push to get over our fear. But once we do, you know what happens? We can rely on the Holy Spirit's power to actually be a witness to people who need to hear. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. We're so thankful that not only have you saved us, but you have given your Holy Spirit to us to empower us and to help us to come into a relationship with somebody else 
where we can share the gospel with them and that by your Holy Spirit you will save them and redeem them and reconcile them to yourself and make that person my brother or my sister. Father, we pray that we would not come away from this message thinking, well, Pastor's right. I got to get out there and I got to share the gospel and try to go out in our own strength and do what we, as, we can only do by your power. Father, I pray we would rely on you and that in your mighty strength you would work through us not only to cause us to share the gospel, but to help us to want to share the gospel in such a way that we overcome our fears about doing so. And Father, I pray that in all these things you would be glorified and not us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.